It is our nature, our tendency to view ourselves rose-colored, through rose-colored lenses. We're always better than we really are. We like, I mean, no one likes to think of themselves as a loser. Uh, no one likes to think of themselves as selfish or mean. But every once in a while, there'll be something we're involved in or something said to us or the consequences from our actions hit us in such a way it becomes crystal clear we're rotten, we're wicked, we're selfish. Here's another way of looking at it. Have you ever had a day that you wish you could go back in time and just do something different? Has there ever been a person that you thought, you know, if I could go back in time, I would choose never to meet this person (laughs) because of the betrayal and things that I've experienced at that time. Or if I could go back in time, I would just stop my mouth and not say what I was thinking because of the consequences that came. Or if I could have just avoided being in that circumstance, being in that party, or being in that job, being around this network of people, If I could go over again, I would just bypass that whole stage of my life and find someone else or find something else or some other place to go. Or perhaps maybe if I could do that day over again, I just wouldn't even get out of bed because everything I did that day was bad. Or there is some decision that I made that I will never get past the consequences of. If I could... Go back in time. Oh, how I would change the decisions I've made. What I'm talking about here are guilty consciences. This passage I want to talk to you today is for anyone who wishes they can go back in time and do it over again. If that's you, then this is a good word for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 18. We're going to talk about clean consciences and guilty consciences. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be holy or, if you will, a clean conscience. How do you be right with God? I'm going to tell you, one of the things that drove me to Christ, I was exposed to the gospel as as a child growing up. I heard it all the time. I was surrounded by the Bible, by the Word of God. I knew how to act right. I just couldn't figure out how to be right. You know, there's a difference. You know how to act right. You know how to say the right stuff before the right people. But how do you keep that thought from being in your life? That was totally wicked and selfish and mean. It came clear to me that I was wholly wrong with God. That my thought life, my attitude, despite how I appeared before others, was wrong. And it was this realization that I had a guilty conscience. And I couldn't really do anything about it. I couldn't get baptized enough. I couldn't come down the aisle enough. I couldn't rededicate my life enough. I couldn't do all the right stuff enough. What do you do with a guilty conscience? Well, with this thought of mine, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. 
We're going to read verses 1 through 18. And this passage is a summary of a lot of really all that's come before in Hebrews. He's about to wrap up an argument. And, and from verse 19 on becomes a lot more admonitions, a lot more instructions, a lot more. Uh, this is this is what we do based all on what we talked about from Hebrews 1 through 10. So this is a good summary for us uh, as we look at this together. And, and, and this being the Word of God, I, I just encourage us to stand in honor of what we're reading. As we read silently, I'll read aloud to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never... By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the workers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at a service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. You may be seated. Just as a reminder, the audience he was writing to were Jews for the most part who once were following Christ but now being tempted to leave the gospel leave what Christ has done and go back to the old way of worship because that was the path of least resistance. If they went to the temple, if they did the sacrifices, they celebrated in all the feasts and holidays, then it gave them uh, something in common with their family and their friends and, and they no longer stood out as different and, and no longer became targets of persecution. And so the, the writers encourage them, says, you cannot forsake what Christ has done. And so he, sa- he says, you know, Let's consider the Old Testament sacrifices, which at that time was still presently occurring in the temple. The temple would be destroyed in just a few years. But he could see still these things taking place. And he said, look, let me, let's talk about these sacrifices. We read the Old Testament. It talks about the Ten Commandments. And this is who God is. And this is uh, his expectations of mankind. And, and this is how we sin. And then he says, and then there's sacrifices. There, there's the day, uh, yearly Day of Atonement. Uh, that was being done. Then there's sin offerings that you were to take. There were peace offerings and grain offerings and lambs and, and oxen and doves and, and various grain products that were to be utilized. And, and if you read from the uh, Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see this picture of, wow, 
they were sacrificing a lot. They were sacrificing a lot. And, and they weren't just sacrificing the cheap stuff. If they were doing it right, this was the beloved stuff. This was the good stuff. This was the, the lamb without blemish. I mean, this was the cute little... I mean, it wasn't like an old sheep that you got aggravated with. It was just the cute little lamb. And, and these were the things being slaughtered. And can you imagine telling your children as they're getting attached to these things, maybe naming the sheep, saying, no, no, don't name that sheep, all right? Uh, because you're going to see this sheep is going to get sacrificed. And you can imagine just the emotional aspects of this and... Uh, and so he says, let me tell you about what that was all for. He says, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, For since the law is but a shadow of good things to come. This is the argument he gave in chapter 8, that the temple and, and the sacrificial system were shadows. And it pointed to the reality, the reality found in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's true, uh, then it can never be by the same sacrifices are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. When you kill that little lamb, all right. When you kill that that oxen and that goat, when you when you do these things, you need to understand that the blood of that animal is not cleaning your conscience. It's not making you right with God. It's not making you holy before Him. It is interesting that in, in the various religions, you'll see numerous ways and, and, and all throughout different cultures where there is some kind of sacrificial system in place. Because there is something within us that when we do something wrong, we tell ourselves, what can I do to make it right? And we try to make things right with people, but also we try to make it right with ourselves. We try to make it right with God. It's fascinating. All the various methods and the various cultures have some kind of sacrificial system. And the writer is saying, look, it doesn't make sense that animals, bloods of animals can take care of the sin of mankind. It cannot, as it says here in verse 1, make perfect those who draw near. That make perfect. It cannot totally cleanse your conscience before God. So these things are but shadows. They point to it. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul kind of hits on that same idea. He says, look, don't let people pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And we've talked about this before on Wednesday nights, that the Sabbath laws and how they're found in Christ. Uh, a good believer is not measured by what they do and do not do on Sunday, which isn't Sabbath, by the way. Uh, and, and this is something we have to go against tradition here, uh, that it's found in Christ. It is pointing to him. So what is this talking about? Well, a shadow. If, if you will, uh, if you've had a baby... Last 20 years, I think they've probably had ultrasound for you, um, where they could give you a picture of what the baby might look like, what the baby does look like. Um, and, you know, in your mind, you always think, well, I always wondered what my child would look like. And you do that growing up. You just kind of wonder, well, I wonder if I had children, what would they look like? And, and it's before you ever knew your spouse. And, and, then, and still, after knowing the spouse, you, you wonder. And so you, you, you think, you, you look with anticipation at this ultrasound. You think, all right, I get to see what the baby looks like. And you think, I, I don't get it. Where's the, where's the head? You know, <laughs> this is my baby? And, and so you, 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 you get the uneasy feeling. I, I, I still don't know what the baby is going to look like. But it is a picture. It is, in a real sense, a shadow. <laughs> Of what's to come. And, and so when the, when the baby is born, and you think, okay, finally, enough of this ultrasound stuff, I can't figure it out, you know, even with the 3D, those are pretty neat. But still, you can't quite figure it out. And so the baby's born, and you look at the baby, and you're like, 
as baby, I can't figure out what the baby looks like, you know. Surely, tell me, someone tell me, that he's, he or she's not going to look like this, you know, wrinkled, red, or blue, or uh, coned, and coned head, and all this, you know, it's just like, oh, you know. Um, and so all along the way, it hits you, I, I don't know what the baby looks like until some days, you look back on those pictures, and, you, and, and I can look back even on the ultrasound pictures, and I can tell the child distinguish our children by the ultrasound pictures. Isn't it amazing? Before I couldn't even figure out anything, but now I can see the shape of the nose and think, oh yeah, that's, that's this one, you know? I can look back on it. But now, you know, I've got all these pictures in, in the office and, and, and they give me a good likeness of who they are, but would it make any sense if, if someone said to me, hey, your children are over there and they're looking for you, they want you to be there, and I replied to them, oh, that's okay. I don't really need to be there. I've got these pictures. Uh, I don't need to go home anymore. I've, I've got these pictures. I've got pictures. I'm okay. That doesn't make any sense. The pictures are shadows. They point to something that is to be replaced by the reality. Okay? And so what he's saying is these sacrifices, when you, when you consider uh, a lamb that was slain, when you consider uh, the ram that Abraham had in place of Isaac, it was a picture of something to come. Okay? And so every time they did these sacrifices, numerous times a year, it was to point to something. Not to cleanse them of their sin. What, what, if that's the case, if it doesn't cleanse them of the sin, why did I have to kill my pet sheep? And why did I have to do it year after year? What was the point? Well, verse 2, he buttresses his argument. He says, look, if, if this was the case, if it did take care of your sins, then you wouldn't have to repeat it. They no longer have any consciousness of sin. But the fact of the matter is you slay, the, you kill the animal, you have the blood pour, you have the animal burnt, and, and you still have the memory of that sin in your mind, in your heart. And so, verse 3, what was the point of all this? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. So when you read the Old Testament, you read Leviticus, you read Numbers and Deuteronomy, you think... My goodness, they had a sacrifice for everything. I couldn't even afford to live back then because there's sacrifices all the time. Why were there so many sacrifices? Because God was giving them moment after moment something to take away the uh, rose-colored sunglasses from themselves and say, Look, you are guilty. There's sin in your life is a reminder of the sin. So this was their memorial day, if you will. It was not a memorial day of, of, of a good thing. It was a memorial day of, I'm sinful. I need, I need, I make mistakes. There are days I wish I could do ever again. There's actions I wish I could uh, change if I could. And I know that. I'm aware of that. It was to point them to a Savior. Interesting, this, this verse 3, the reminder of the sins, that same word reminders, the same word you see in Luke 22, verse 19, when at the the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In the gospel, you no longer just have a memory of our sin, but Jesus says, I invite you not just to remember the sin, but more importantly, remember the Savior. Keep in mind the Savior. And that's why it's good for us. It's good for me to preach the gospel to you every time I can to say this is what Jesus Christ has done. We are to remember these things in much the way in Memorial Day we think back on sacrifices given for our freedom. We think on the salvation of what Christ has done for us. So, let me just bring this to you. I want to expand this out, not just the Old Testament sacrifices, but let me just say this. A personal sacrifice 
your personal sacrifices. Our tendency now is not just to do the Old Testament. We, when things go bad in our life, we think, what can I do to make it right? What penance can I do? In fact, that's part of the Catholic system is, is a penance. These, these are the things, uh, okay, you confess these things. Now, if you do these things, then it will make right the wrong that you've done. Sometimes when I have sin in my life, there's that temptation. And I say, God, surely, maybe, maybe if I just fast until this gets right. Until my heart changes. If I can just fast until my heart changes. If I, if I can just, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to retreat somewhere. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word of God. And until my heart gets right. And if I just do these actions, then somehow God's going to make right the wrong. And my, my temptation is to add to something to what Jesus has done. And the gospel is this, that no, I cannot add some steps to make things right with God. There's some things I can do to make right with other people. But not right with God. So let me just say, a personal sacrifice is an effective reminder, but an ineffective cleanser of a guilty conscience. If we had this on the video screen, that would be what was right there. All right, let me say that again. Personal sacrifice is an effective reminder, effective reminder, but an ineffective cleanser. Of a guilty conscience. So we go to verse 5. What's the point for verse 5 through verse 9? It's this. Christ's willing sacrifice replaces a personal sacrifice to cleanse our conscience. Christ's willing sacrifice replaces a personal sacrifice to cleanse our conscience. Notice verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said... And now he's quoting here from Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8, the Septuagint version, which is a little bit different from what your copy would say. Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Okay? Your translation, if you're reading there, would say an ear. The Hebrew of that time said, okay, if he's going to make an ear, he's making a body. It's, it's a picture of the, of the entirety. So you've prepared a body for me in burnt offerings and sin, sin offerings. You've not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold... I've come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, verse 8 and 9 and 10, he's given commentary on that, that quote, okay? Now, the order is important. That's what the Hebrew writing is putting out. First, he said he didn't desire these sins offerings, but he had a body given. So, Jesus Christ obeyed God. When Jesus died on the cross, you need to understand it was the will of God. It was God's intention for Jesus to die on the cross. It was not an accident. It was not a fluke of of circumstances. It wasn't where God said, oh, I didn't know they would do that to him. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have sent him. No, God was well aware, and it was his design, his plan to send his son to die on the cross. And so Jesus says, you have body prepared for me. I've lived life. I've done your will. Verse 7, behold, I've come to do your will of God as is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so he says, this is what God Here's what you need to know. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He lived the life we should have lived. He obeyed God. His was an obedient life following God's design to death. In fact, verse 8, 9, he says, Behold, I've come to do your will. Isaiah 53, 10 says this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When a soul makes an offering for sin... 
He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. What does Isaiah 53.10 say? God is saying it was his design, his plan, his will to see his son crushed because of your sin. It was his plan. And so verse 9, he says, he abolishes the first. What's the first he's talking about? Well, in verse 8, he lists out the sacrifices, the offerings, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, four different types of offerings given in the Old Testament. He says, he says, you need to know, on all these offerings, all four types, God does not take pleasure in these things. And instead, I've come to do your will. And so what he's saying is, Jesus is replacing these personal sacrifices. That's what verse 9 says very clearly. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David proclaimed that after being convicted of his own sin, of adultery and murder. He says, you know, what, what sacrifices can I do? Sacrifices here will not cleanse my conscience. And so the point of these sacrifices was what David says, to have a broken and contrite heart. First Samuel 15, 22, Samuel says to Saul, has the, Lord has, has the Lord has a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to the fat of rams. The whole idea of doing these sacrifices was to get to the heart, to have repentant, broken hearts about their sin. And this is something I think we take too calloused, too indifferent. I mean, we understand when a policeman has his lights going, which, by the way, they're going a lot this weekend. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, and, and when we see these, we, we automatically look where? Speedometer, yep. Okay. And, and so there is a fear uh, of being caught for the sin. There is an anguish involved with that, especially if we get caught. All right. And so we understand that. But there is such an indifference to our sin, our selfishness in our life. And then we think, well, let me just... Let me just go to church. Let me just give. Let me just pray. But we don't have broken hearts over it. The whole point of the sacrificial system was for the human being to have broken heart and it's broken heart over the sin. Here's how we do this in the New Testament. There's a a Puritan prayer that came out of the book, The Valley of Vision. And just listen to this. It says, Of all hypocrites, grant that I may not be an evangelical hypocrite who sins... More safely because grace abounds. Who tells his lust that Christ's blood cleanseth them. Who reasons that God cannot cast him into hell for he is saved. Who loves evangelical preaching, churches, Christians, but lives unholy. There is something we've got to be aware of and that is not having broken hearts over sin. That was one of the points of the Old Testament system is to have your heart broken over these things. So let's go to verse 10. Christ's willing sacrifice cleanses our conscience once for all. Christ's willing conscience sacrifice not only replaces personal sacrifice to cleanse our conscience, but Christ's willing sacrifice cleanses our conscience once for all. See verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified. All right, now that, that word sanctified is in the, in the perfect tense uh, form. Now that may not mean a lot to you if you're not up uh, in grammar. But what that means is that it's a past action 
with ongoing action. All right? So we have been sanctified. It's something done in the past, but it has continuing impact in our life today. And by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once and for all. Now, here's, let me just kind of give you what that means. We had my family, uh, when we went to Israel, they paid for our, my, my wife and I to go to Israel. And they paid a, a once-for-all fee. All right? So what that meant is that when we went to Israel, we would have different services done. We would eat a meal. All right? Normally, you would pay after every meal. But no, not this time, because that was paid previously. Normally, as you, as you go and you finish your various tours with the buses uh, and the tour guides and all the various places, you would pay the tour guides and, and give them tips. But no... Not this time, because that was done once before. The beauty of this once-for-all-expense-paid trip is that we would just go, and all the expenses were already paid one time. All right? It's done. So, that meant, as I was on the trip, the next day, I was going to go to a motel. And I was going to eat something there. Did I worry about the fee the price for tomorrow's meal. No. Because it was paid once for all in that trip. All right. So here's what I'm bringing out here. When Christ died, his sacrifice was given. He lived the life we should have lived so that he could die the death we should have died. And he did it to take care and cleanse our conscience once for all. So when tomorrow's uh, faults come, tomorrow's sins come, do I worry about whether or not that sin is paid for before God? No. How many of my sins had I committed when Jesus died on the cross? I hadn't done one of them yet. And that was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even a gleam in anybody's eye back then. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, it was a once-for-all-time sacrifice paid. One of... Problems is, you know, we, we think that if, if I don't confess my sin and I die in that state, well, that means I'm going to hell because I didn't confess my sin. Let's talk about that in just a little bit, okay? I, I'm just going to say to you that's not wrong. That's not right, biblically speaking. There is a role for asking God to forgive you of your sins. But before God, your sins are cleansed once and for all by Jesus Christ. So just hold on to that thought. Now, we go on to verse 12. Uh, verse 11, he says, Every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. He says, there's repetition going on. You go out there, you're going to see bloodshed. You're going to see smoke going up. Animals are dying. It happens all the time. But they're not taking away the sins of mankind. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So let me just say this. Christ's willing sacrifice cleansed our conscience by a single sacrifice. And so it's just a little bit of elaboration on the previous point. It's done by a single sacrifice. And, you know, we go to, uh, last year we went to Arlington Cemetery in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And it's an incredible place to be. Especially on a day like this uh, and tomorrow, Memorial Day, you go to Arlington Cemetery and you see thousands of tombstones marked in very similar patterns across the landscape, across the hills, 
the valleys. You just see these, these tombstones. And so they will tell you this is the price paid for the freedom of our country. And just hits you how many there are. Because freedom of a country is an important thing. And so if someone threatens the freedom of our country, there's still another call. No one says, well, haven't we had enough people die? We understand that the freedom of a country is an important thing where if a call is given, we rise up again and say, let's add to the tally. But here's what we've got. A clean conscience before God. Jesus does it with one sacrifice. One sacrifice. Because this was not just a man. This was God and man together. He had to be man to represent us. But he had to be God so his blood would be effective for all time. For all mankind who will receive him as their savior. And so it's done by a single sacrifice. And so we go to verse 12. And when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now he's alluding to Psalm 110, which is one of his favorite uh, psalms in this book of Hebrews. He says, think about this. He is now sitting down. The job is complete until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. And so he's kind of given a little... A little barb here, he says, look, if you're not following Christ, if you're not trusting in him as your savior, then you become his enemy. And that instead of being there resting with Christ, you could be part of the footstool of which Jesus has his feet on as being in opposition to Christ. Verse 14, for by a single offering is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All right, now let's talk about this. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected, all right, Past tense, it's it's a done deal. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you are reading from King James or even the New American Standard, which surprisingly does an inferior job of translating here, it makes you think that it just says sanctified, past tense, it's done. The ESV, New King James, uh, NIV, do a better job here, and using that phrase, being sanctified, it's true to the uh, verb tense in this case. Those who are being sanctified. So, you see, get this picture. God has already perfected those who are being perfected. God has already made holy those who are being made holy. All right, God, God has already made their conscience clean those who are trying to walk with God. It's, it seems like a, a contradiction. But what it does is it speaks to two different... Uh, aspects of the of the of the believer's life that which is done in by position all right by position our position before god is that god has made us holy god has made us clean god has set us apart god has has made us complete it's already done by position so that's why i say to you that the role of confession of your sins has nothing to do with your position before God. God has already made you perfect. He has already made you clean. But it does have something to do with your practice. And that's what the latter part of this verse says. Alright? The practice. Those who have been perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified, alright? Those who are being made perfect, those who are being made clean, this is the practice. There's the position of believer, there's the practice of the believer. 
The practice of the believer is that, you know what? I still have sin in my life. I still have this tendency. I still have desires in me to do wrong. Sometimes we think, once I become a believer, then all these desires are going to go away, right? No, 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 no. Take that away from your expectation list, all right? That's not going to happen. Those desires still will be there. It's just that God has given to you new desires that are in conflict with the old desires. When you become a follower of Christ, you become conflicted. All right? And the point of it is, is God is saying it's better to be struggling, pursuing Christ-likeness, than to give it up altogether and go full heart into the ways of this world. All right? And so he says the practice of a believer is working toward what God has already done in their position. Okay? My children are my children by position. It doesn't matter what they do. They will always be biologically of me. But sometimes they may reflect me more than other times. When they say, well, they're a chip off the old block or uh, the apple doesn't fall from the tree. You know, we're, we're not just talking now about what's in the blood. We're talking about who they are and how they reflect me. And so what we're saying here is that we are biologically, so to speak, we are in the position of being children of God, but then there's the practice of reflecting Christ. Okay? Now, how do you know, here's a good question, how do you know if you are a child of God? How do you know if God has made you perfect? How do you know that? Verse 14 tells you. Are you going in the direction of being Christ-like? Are you going in the direction of being Christ-like? This is one of the things that I knew in my heart before I became a believer, that I was not going in the direction of being like Christ. And I had this sin in my life, and I knew that I was guilty before God, and there's nothing I could do. I couldn't rededicate myself, so to speak. I couldn't walk down the aisle, so to speak, as some kind of uh, ceremonial ritual to make me right. I knew that I needed forgiveness, I needed cleansing. I needed God to do something new in my life. And so, verse 15. We find that something else is going on. He, he alludes to another Old Testament passage here. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34, verse 15. He says, the Holy Spirit says this. Now, it has the name Jeremiah on it. So what does this tell you? That God is writing the books of the Old Testament. Yeah, it's found in Jeremiah, but the Holy Spirit is writing this. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, verse 34. He's bare witness, and he says, verse 16, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts, and I'll write them on their minds. All right? Then verse 17 is, is more to the point of his argument. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He says that, Jeremiah says that in the new covenant, God will no longer remember sins and lawless deeds anymore. And so verse 18, in case you didn't get it, he says, where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sins because Jesus did this once and for all. There's no further need to slay the ox or the goat anymore. Jesus has done it. But in quoting Jeremiah 31, he brings another dimension to this. All right, because some people are afraid, well, if you say that we don't live by the law anymore, then what's going to stop the person from saying that, okay, I'll make Jesus my Savior and Lord, and I'm going to live how I want to. This is great, fire insurance. I, I, I always wanted that. I didn't really want to go to hell, you know. So this is good. 
All right, well, here's what he says in Jeremiah 31. It brings this angle, and, and I just want to present it to you this way. Christ's willing sacrifice changes our conscience. This is, this is something totally dynamic here. Not only does Christ's willing sacrifice cleanse our conscience once and for all by one single sacrifice, but Christ's willing sacrifice literally changes our conscience. He says in verse, verse 16, he says, in that new covenant, and this is the New Testament, in those days, God's going to write something on our hearts. He's going to put the law on our hearts and write them on our minds. And so, as a believer, it's not just the, uh, it's that you lose desires for bad things. They still remain. But what happens is, is that now, as a new follower, a new believer in Christ, God's Spirit puts new desires in our heart that's in conf- conflict with the old. And as you love God... These new desires are going to grow stronger and stronger in your life. Let me just share it this way. I, I heard a story. I, Matt Chandler is a, a, is a pastor I listen to from time to time. and He shared this story uh, from a movie that he had seen. I don't remember the name of the movie. It was a little obscure. Um, but here's, here's the scene. It, was, it took place in Vietnam. Uh, Days with rickshaw and uh, hand hand drawn rickshaws, and um, there's this the hero of this, this story is, is one of these rickshaw drivers, and um, as he's driving around, he sees uh, it goes past this just luxurious hotel, the ones that only foreigners stay in, really rich people stay in, and, and there he sees a, a beautiful uh, young lady who's waiting for a rickshaw, rickshaw, so she he picks her up and. And uh, begins to talk with her and finds out that uh, that uh, well, uh, she works in this rickshaw or this hotel and does so as as a, a prostitute and um, realizes that she primarily is there and so he makes a practice to always swing by that hotel right when she's leaving and and so he gets to know her after she gets over the freaking out why you always here. Um, stalking type thing, and and so they they develop a, a friendship, and in fact he comes to love her. Finds out that her dream is is that maybe one day that she can actually stay all night in this hotel, and and not have to be sent away in the morning, and and to have breakfast served and room service there, and that is just I mean, that's what she wants, that's her her desire. He just kind of follows that in his head. Well, the country then puts on a yearly rickshaw race to kind of funnel the energies of, of this lower class. And, and the winner of this rickshaw race just gets a year's worth of salary to help them step up somehow in, in the economy. And so this young man decides, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be part of that rickshaw race. And, and there the movie focuses on this, this race that occurs between uh, these two main individuals. And, of course, the hero wins the race and, and gets the money and so he decides that what he'll do with this money is he, he buys a night at this hotel and buys a night with this lady. And so she's coming and says, okay, you know, this is what I do. And he says, no, we're going to do some things different. I've got a, I bought a dress for you. I want you to go back there and put this beautiful dress on and don't you know, take someone's makeup off. You know, just, just be you. And so she does and comes out and Instead of what you might think would happen, he says, I, I just want to talk with you. 
They spend the night just talking and letting her sleep. Has room service in the morning, brings breakfast in on the table. Morning's over with and they have to go. And he keeps going by this hotel thinking, where's she at? And he doesn't see her for a long period of time and he gets concerned. And so he goes by her home and says, what have I, what's wrong? And she said, don't you know, you, you ruined me. And he said, how, how did I ruin her? I just tried to honor you. I, I, I didn't want to ruin you. She, she said, don't you know that with what you did for me, I can never go back to prostitution. What you have is Jesus doing that for us. He lays down his life willingly for people who had guilty consciences and could not do anything about it. And by one single absolute sacrifice, submission to God the Father, he lays down his blood, his life, broken, put into a tomb, resurrected again, and says, I extend to you forgiveness. I give you mercy. Your conscience is clean. You have been made perfect. You're made perfect before God the Father. And now I give to you the very Spirit, our Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of me, the Spirit we share together, and we extend the Spirit to you. And we write the law into your heart. Don't think that you can improve it by going to church, by singing songs, by giving money, by any kind of personal sacrifice. This is the gospel. And it changes you radically. This is for all of you who wish you could go back and do something over again. You can't. You can't. But if that mistake, if that lapse of judgment, if that sin, if that selfishness, that word you said brings you to the point where you know that you need Jesus as your Savior, then guess what? Don't go back and do that day over again. If it brings you closer to cross, closer to the Christ and say, God, I need a Savior, then that is the best thing that could have ever happened, though it is filled with shadows and regret and remorse. That regret, that remorse, that sorrow, that sin takes you to the gospel. And you've got to ask yourself, do you believe that God can forgive you of your sin? Do you believe that He can make you clean before Him? And do you believe it so much that you let the Spirit of God speak to your heart and start changing you into who He already sees you as? Let's pray.